Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Amen, amen. Well, I want us to go to our uh, foundation verse, our theme verse that we've been looking at now for several weeks. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And... Uh, we're going to read that together, I believe, if they've got it up on the screen there. Yeah, they do. Uh, and I want you to, uh, it's good for us to speak these things out, you know, not just read them to ourselves, but speak them out. So, uh, folks, I just want you to join with me, and let's read this together from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, New Living Translation. Here we go. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, that's what happened to you when you came to Christ. You were rescued from another life, another kingdom called the kingdom of darkness. Sin, separation, a lot of different ways we describe it. And then you were transferred, moved to, brought into a brand new kingdom. And it's the kingdom of his dear son. We call it the kingdom of God. We've been talking about kingdoms over the last several weeks and about the invisible kingdom, the visible kingdom about the world system and the worldly kingdom and the kingdom of God. And one of the things that's so important for us to have learned from this or be reminded from it and to keep it down, keep it real in our lives is the fact that when you came to Christ, yes, you were transferred to a new kingdom. We live in a different world now. The problem is, for many of us, we've never learned how to live in that world. And, and that's... Uh, that's one of the reasons we read the Scripture. We read the Bible because in the Bible we have instructions, we have truths that show us how we're supposed to live in this new kingdom. Now, yeah, we're still living in this area. We're living in this world. You're subjected to some things in this world. But you've been made alive spiritually. Something changed in you when you came to Christ. And when you did that, then you're in a process of changing from the inside out and learning how to live according to his principles. We call it the principles of the kingdom of God. God has designed these because he said, now I've moved you to this place. You have a brand new life. Now here's how you're supposed to live it. And here's how I'm going to help you to live it. And we're looking at seven of those precepts. If we get those up on the screen, let's review those very quickly. Seven of those precepts, life precepts for kingdom living. We first of all looked at the fact that you reap what you sow. If you sow something, you reap it. It's the seed principle. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Then we looked at the principle of, of uh, if, you, uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, God has given us gifts, abilities, put things into our lives. And the truth is, if we do not invest them, if we don't use them, uh, then, uh, then we, we lose them or at least lose the effectiveness of them. Then we looked at a very important principle of the great, that greatness is serving. Greatness is serving. The idea of the world is essentially that, that one must be powerful and strong or wealthy or famous in order to be great. But the kingdom principle of greatness is quite different. So if you want to be great, then have a heart to serve. And we looked at so many things as far as learning how to live in uh, true greatness. Then we looked at the principle of generosity, that generosity pays off. The world system says get all you can, keep all you can. But the kingdom of God says give. Even if you don't feel like you have anything, give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. 
God will bless back into your life. It's a kingdom principle. Uh, one of the things about that principle is, is that in order for you to take that step, you have to trust Him first. That it all belongs to Him. That you can be generous and expect that God's going to bless many people and bless in His kingdom through what you give and how you give. Because there's more ways than giving than just money. But then God's going to bring it back in your life. He'll multiply it back in your life. He will increase gifts in your life. You will see that, that people impacted by your service and you will learn that generosity pays off. Then we looked at the power of unity. The division, strife hurts. It brings great damage. The enemy brings strife. But God desires for us to be united in unity. And that means unity in spirit, unity in heart. It's not, you don't necessarily agree on every little thing. Uh, even from the, the theological standpoint, you may have some differences there. But on the principal issues of Scripture, you stand on it, you believe it together. You're united in Christ. So if you're going to be in unity, the first of all, the unity is with Him, and that comes through Christ. Then when we do that, He wants us to be in unity as a family. And we looked at several examples in the Scripture where God moved in a powerful way. God did some powerful things when people got together and they united. Then we looked at a word that we call that a word, the word persevere. That persevere is not one of those. Uh, words that, that give us a good feeling. Persevere gives us uh, normally the idea of struggling and just barely making it through. But when we learn what persevere really means in Scripture, it means I planted my feet firmly and no matter what storms come and no matter what happens, I will not be moved. I will stand strong in His Word. I'm going to come out of this thing victorious. That's persevering. And the Bible promises blessings on those who persevere. And God will help us give grace for that. Then finally, we're on the last principle that faith is the key. The bottom line is, is this is all about faith. That's where it begins. That's how we live, according to faith. That's how God designed for life to be. We operate according to the law of faith. He, he planned it that way. And understand, all seven of these principles, you don't take one or the other or a few of them. All seven of them work together. They're all connected. They're interrelated. And it's very important for us to learn how to activate these in our life. Faith is the very, it's a very fundamental foundation of all the other principles of kingdom living. Because the Bible says that whoever comes to God must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He's a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek Him. So you can't please God without faith. The Bible says that we live or walk by faith and not by what? Not by sight, not by feelings, not by emotions. So in the kingdom of God, you don't live by emotions. You don't live by feelings. That's not what governs your life. What governs your life is that bedrock confidence in the goodness of God and the word of God, His promises are true, and you plant your feet on that word, you get the word in your heart, and you determine that I will live by faith no matter what things look like around me. I'm going to believe God's word and stand on it. It is extremely important for us to learn that that's the kind of life God wants us to live. And the Bible says that, that God has given to every man the measure of faith. So faith is a gift. Everyone in here, your ability to believe is out of the grace of God. You couldn't believe if it wasn't for God giving you the potential or ability to believe, right? You wouldn't have the ability. But you are given a choice. And when you choose 
to believe and respond and walk in faith, God changes you because he works by faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is active. That faith without works is, is dead. So faith is active. It, it's not just a stagnant word over there and you talk about faith. The Christian faith is something that moves us. It's active. Uh, faith is a law. There are certain principles, if you will, that God's established and says, this is how faith works. And remember, G, uh, remember, the writer of Hebrews says that faith is a substance. Now, substance you can, is real. Faith is a substance of things you hope for, and it's the evidence, proof, of things you don't see. And so this is something that's real because God says it's real, not because you see it. The challenge for living the faith life, learning how to operate in faith, is to get to a place of getting his promises, his word down inside of you, letting that picture of God's promises and his truth and who he's called you to be and what he's promised you, what he's given you, let it build and grow up in you to where it becomes faith, uh, it fills your heart with faith. And as you get grounded into that, something begins to happen on the inside of you because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 7, that faith comes by healing, Hearing, in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So you build your faith, build your faith, build your faith. God increases that faith, you're in the Word. Something grows up, you become, you, it becomes real on the inside of you. We call that a, a rest of faith. Because even though you don't see the answer right now, you have rest on the inside of you. You believe that God has heard and answered your prayer, and you don't know perhaps exactly when you're going to see the manifestation of that, but you believe it's real. And what you do, standing in faith, what you're doing is you're reaching out into that invisible world, and by faith you're appropriating and bringing into the real world, and we'll touch on that just a little bit more. So the title of this message that we had, that we really didn't get finished with last week, so we had to continue this week, is, uh, is called uh, Figs and Mountains. And we're looking at the account in Mark chapter 11, let me take just a second because I don't have much time to move through these points, uh, four points we have this morning that, we, that I think lays, uh, lays a good foundation for us to know how to walk out this life of faith. Uh, just to recount it just a little bit, in, in Mark chapter 11, you can also read about it in, in Matthew, uh, Jesus uh, is in Bethany, which is just a, a couple of miles or so outside of Jerusalem. He leaves the town and he goes to Jerusalem and on the way to Jerusalem, when he leaves Bethany there, it says he's hungry. So he sees a fig tree in the distance, and it has leaves on it. So he goes over to partake of that, and when he does of the fruit there, and when he gets there, there's no fruit. So Jesus curses that tree, it says. He curses that tree, and, it's, and he says that, you'll not, that you will wither, you'll die, and you'll not bear fruit. You'll, ever, you'll not ever bear fruit. And so then he continues on to Jerusalem. You remember what happened when he got to Jerusalem? You remember? He gets there, the temple mount, he goes into the temple area there, and all the money changers, all the thieves, all those that are taking advantage of people that have come there to worship and present their sacrifice, uh, they're, they're all gathered around in that area, and Jesus becomes uh, righteously indignant. And he begins to turn tables over and run them out of that area, declaring that this is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And the religious leaders, uh, they didn't know exactly what to do at that point. Uh, they couldn't respond and do something about it because they were afraid of people's opinions that 
really look to Jesus as, as perhaps the Messiah, some authority figure. So they were afraid to do anything, but the Bible says that from that point in time, they, they were bound and determined, the way we'd say it here, they were bound and determined that they would figure out a way to kill him. So he leaves Jerusalem after that event. He leaves Jerusalem and he goes back to Bethany. The next day, he starts back uh, to Jerusalem. And when he starts back, the disciples look over and they notice the fig tree. And it's all withered. It's dead. And then Peter says, hey, Jesus, look over there. The tree that you cursed has died just like you said. Well, Jesus didn't look and said, wow, it really is, isn't it? No, he didn't. He knew. When he spoke it, when he did it, he knew that's what was going to happen. So we pick up, we pick up after this event. Now, what, what did it mean? What did it mean that the fact that the fig tree was cursed? Why was it cursed? Because it gave the appearance of being real and having fruit, but it was false. It was empty. And it literally was dead because it would have died anyway, according to the the way that it had failed to produce the, the fruit at that time. And so, it's important for us to see here that Jesus was teaching a lesson. Just as the leaders in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, just as they have the appearance of being holy and the appearance of being righteous and having fruit, they pretend to know the truth and be real, but they're really dead. The fruit tree, the fig tree represented it was used as a symbol of Israel over and over and over again in Scripture. So symbolically, Jesus was simply giving a, a, a real lesson there to the fact that in, the, in the, the people of Israel, the leaders in Israel, the religious leaders, they were uh, hypocritical. They were pretending. They had the leaves, if you will, the pretense of being righteous, but inside they were dead. And they were cursed for, for, because in 70 A.D., the city was leveled. People were destroyed. So what a powerful lesson. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. So what a powerful lesson when you have the pretense. You know, it should speak to all of us. We want to be real. We don't have the pretense, be, uh, be fake or phony or give forth the image. This is about a real, real relationship with God. So this is where we pick up in Mark chapter 11, verse 21 through uh, 26, and just touch on this a little bit last week, but then I want to get on that and then give you those uh, four points that we have. Mark chapter 11, verse 21 through 26 says, And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, Master, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them. It seems like a very unusual response to that statement. But here's his response. He says, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. You see something miraculous? You see something that, 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 is, that, that should not have happened, but it happened miraculously. In the eyes of men, there's no way for it to be a possibility, but it happened. Matthew puts it that way. He says, you know, you understand that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and it'll be done because nothing is impossible. And so Jesus says, have faith in God. Literally in the Greek, that could be read, have the God kind of faith. Have faith like God. Have the God kind of faith. For assuredly, in other words, you can count on it, verse 23. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever, all 
All the whoever's wave at me right now. Any of the whoever's here? Okay. All right. I, all right. Good. I'm kind of wondering about the rest of you, but uh, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, now he may have pointed to uh, a mountain in, in the area there, the Mount of Olives, but he's, he's speaking more to the spiritual side of this, though all things are possible. He's spiritual the fact that we have obstacles. We have mountains in our lives. He says, you say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe, now get this, that you believe that those things you say will be done, you'll have whatever you say. He says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever lines up with his word, his will, believe with confidence that you have received past sins, that you have received them and they will be given to you. Then the next verse seems to be almost out of place, but it really isn't. It says, and whenever you stand praying, which means you don't have to kneel, you don't have to close your eyes. It's funny how we traditionally we have this form of prayer. You know, for one time it was like this. And, you, and I don't say anything wrong with that or closing your eyes or on your face before the Lord in prayer or seated or kneeling or standing. But Jesus is talking about the fact that it's okay to stand and pray here. He says, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Strong statement here. He says, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That. That'll get your attention, won't it? So we looked at uh, number one of the four last, we touched on it last week, that he said, here's what you do. If you're going to walk this life of faith, if you're going to move mountains, first of all, you got to have the God kind of faith. Have the faith of God. Be totally confident that his word is true, his promises are true. Get that word into you. Listen, this is important. True faith begins where the will of God is known. Now listen, this is important. True faith begins where the will of God is known. How do you find out what the will of God is? Because the Bible says, ask whatever you will according to His will, according to His word, and you'll receive it. So how do you find out what His will is? You go to His word. His word is His will. You can discover in the scripture what God is saying is His will. And you just simply agree with that. Very important. Very important. True faith begins. Unless you get that promise inside of you and believe that God has spoken to you, you'll never believe and receive it. It's got to be real to you. Does God bless us sometimes when we don't have faith? Yes. We call that mercy. We call that grace. Absolutely he does. Does he bless us sometimes when it seems like we had very little, if any, faith when we prayed? Yes, he does. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace and favor. But he has given us the principle of faith to live by that whatever you ask for according to his word, you'll receive. Now, it would seem that this, this, uh, this idea of, of, uh, of faith would be something easy to get a hold of, but it isn't. Some people are making a real struggle of it when God wants us to Invest our time in his word and learn how to rest in it. It is, uh, it is key. 
So we have the faith of God. And secondly, this is important here. Secondly, he says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. And Kazan see, he'll have whatever he says. There's great power in faith-filled words. Genesis 1.1 says that God spoke the worlds into existence. Now that kind of blows your mind when Jesus says, have, have the God kind of faith. Okay, let me go back and read about the God kind of faith. In Genesis 1.1 it says God spoke the worlds into existence. That, that means that he spoke and it happened. The power of words. Hebrews 11.2 confirms that. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Jesus did it. When he was tempted, Jesus spoke to Satan. He spoke to him. Jesus spoke to demons, cast them out. Jesus spoke to diseases. Jesus spoke to trees. Jesus spoke to storms. And, and this is, folks, this is just one element of prayer, of faith and believing and receiving that I, I think we need to get a better grasp on. Let me take just a second here because we need to get a better grasp on this. When we pray, our posture many times is that of wishing and hoping and feeling like you're almost trying to plead or convince God to do something. And we've all felt that. We've all experienced that in prayer. But what we want to do is take a proactive stance in some ways. See, some prayers are more about saying than they are about praying. That probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but let me try to define it or to clarify it just a little bit. There are times when we are praying about a certain situation when we need to speak to that situation in Jesus' name. There are times when you may be praying over a particular disease or sickness and pray, God, please heal, please heal, please heal, and we need to do what Jesus did. He spoke to it and he says, you have no place in this body. By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. I rebuke you. This is, you know, a lot of... A lot of people have a little bit of struggle with this. But we need to learn to speak to those things and say, go. Go. I, I know that probably many of us don't walk in that, at least on a, on a, on consistent, on a consistent basis. But I, I'm, can I just present this to you as something that God wants us to grow into? That there are times when rather than just praying more, take a stand and speak to that situation. In authority. Now, you can't just say your pretty little words. You've got to speak what God has already said about it. Speak God's word in that situation, and there will be results. The Bible says that the word is near you, even in your mouth and your heart, that the word of faith, that's the word of faith, Paul said, that we preach. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's important what we say, isn't it? And those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 6.2 says you are snared or trapped or held captive by the words of your mouth. You ever seen that happen? That we imprison ourselves by what we say over ourselves? Our situation, our family, we actually, we actually become trapped by our own words. It's not just foot and mouth disease. We're trapped by our own words. We're imprisoned. Your words can dominate you. Your words is going to take you somewhere. 
here's a strong statement. Very important. Your faith will never rise above the words of your mouth. Your faith will never rise above the words of your mouth. You can undo things so quickly. You can pray and feel like you're believing and receiving. And then you can walk right out and let your words begin words of doubt and fear and just ruin everything. So speak the word. Speak God's word. Have the faith of God. Speak the words. Be a word-filled person. And thirdly, pray believing. As we mentioned just a moment ago, we, we, we think that those two words, why would you separate them? Pray and believing. Of course you're going to pray and believe. But you know a lot of people pray and they don't believe. You know a lot of people pray and they really don't believe even while they're praying. Maybe. Oh God, just maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe God, if you will, if you will, please. And, and, and this is a strong statement. Pray, believing. First John 5 Verse 13 through 15 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Look, it's important for you to know that you can know whether you're saved or not, whether you're a Christian, whether you have a home in heaven. It's not up for grabs. It's not something you have to wonder about till you die and so supposedly stand before the, the pearly gates. No, that's not, that's, that's not true. You can know. And, and the writer, 1 John here says that I've given you the scripture that whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have a son does not have life. And these things I'm writing to you so that you can know. You don't have to have any doubts. You're not perfect. Of course you're not perfect. You're messed up sometimes. Sure you do. You have some things in your past. Sure you do. But in Christ you're forgiven. Grace, grace has come in and changed your life. And now in this brand new life, you are a Christ one, a Christian you now, your unrighteousness is gone and you have the righteousness of God in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You don't, if anybody here this morning, you have any doubts at all about your salvation, about your relationship with God, about your eternity, settle it today before you go home. Settle it. So you settle it right now. God, I believe, I believe that you love me. I don't understand it. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. There's a lot I don't understand about that. But I know I've sinned against you, Lord. I know that I'm empty on the inside. I know something's missing in my life. Jesus, right now, I believe you died in my place. You took my sin upon yourself. You suffered and died. Jesus, I accept you. I believe on you. I surrender my life to you now. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new life and a home in heaven. And I give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. If you prayed that, if you meant that, you have now become a child of God. It's just that simple. Now, if you did that today, I'd like to hear about it. You don't have to stand and say right now, but I'd like to hear about it. I'd like you come this morning and say, look, I wasn't really sure about my faith at walk. I wasn't sure about relationship with the Lord, but I, I made sure today. The Bible says you can know. So now I know. I'm not going to let the devil lie uh, about me or to me and, and uh, let me walk in fear again. I'm going to stand on your word, get together with other Christians, be in a church, worship God, grow in the faith, and you'll see God do great things. Verse 14 says, now this is the confidence. Everybody say the word confidence. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask 
Next word. Anything. According to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever. We talked about whoever. Now we're talking about whatever. I'm still going to get around to my idea. I've got a few things of scripture that has a, it's, it's not, it's not used like it was a couple of years ago. I should have gotten it out. I missed my real opportunity to have some t-shirts and sell them at that point in time. You know, it was a little entrepreneur type, entrepreneur, entrepreneur. <laughs> okay, Lord, that's probably what it would have been anyway. I understand. I got that. I'm on a farm. I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll never be able to pull this back into where I am. This idea of, on a T-shirt, the, the, you know, the statement that you'd hear from a lot of people a few years ago was whatever. And then when you begin to look in the Word and the Scripture, there's a lot of whatevers, and it's a good whatever. And so, whatever, whoever speaks this mountain, whoever prays believing, whoever asks anything according to my will, he says, whoever does that, whatever he asks, it will be given to him. He will have the petitions that he asks of him. If I were to ask a show of hands, how many are living in that world right now, and that's what you're experiencing every day, uh, it probably wouldn't be a lot of hands because most of us really couldn't define our prayer life by this verse I've just read. Maybe we're getting closer. Believe that. But we're not there yet. James 5, 16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails or accomplishes much. Get in the word. Agree with what God says. Speak it out in that situation. Make that confession. Agree with it. Pray believing that whatever you pray according to his will is yours. Is yours. <clears throat> Listen. What you do during the period between the time when you pray and the time when you receive that provision is extremely important. The time between when you pray and when you receive may be very short, and that's always good. <laughs> It's always a lot easier when you pray and your prayers are answered just immediately, maybe just momentarily or just that day. But when it's a week or a month, several months or a year or longer, it's sometimes difficult to walk out that span. But you can, and God shows you how in his word. And you persevere. You stay strong. You keep confessing it. You keep giving God praise for it. And you keep believing for a manifestation of that in your life. Now, final thing, number four, is to forgive. We talked about, he says, you need to believe like God. Have the faith of God. And understand the power of your words. Declare that situation. Say to that situation. And when you pray, stand, pray, believe. And forgive. Now, why would he put that there? Because unforgiveness, unforgiveness has caused so many faith failures. People have prayed and prayed and prayed about certain situations and never seemed to get any results. And we won't go into all the different reasons that why, why that might be the case at times. But for some people, at some situations, People are not receiving from God because they have unforgiveness in their heart. 
because they're living in strife. Because they are living in resentment and anger. And you see, this is very connected. This is, this is connected here because Jesus is trying to give us a faith principle. The faith principle is, is that faith works by love. Galatians tells us this. Faith works by love. Lack of forgiveness, harboring grudges, bad attitudes will limit you and will hinder your faith. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, in other words, if I know it's there and I do nothing about it, the Lord will not hear me. Now, unforgiveness is iniquity. Love makes faith work at its highest level. Love makes faith. So let's get rid of anything needs to be, get rid of hard feelings. Forgive someone. Let some things, turn some things loose. If you want your faith to be activated, you need to do that. Do that. Have faith of God. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Have the faith of God. Because greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. And that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory of God. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. Your faith. Now before, before we come to the conclusion here, before we end, Important aspect of this is to understand that faith is your response to what God has already done. Jesus died on the cross and he said it's finished. Now we know there's, there's a lot of different things that can mean. It's finished. He paid the price for our sins. It's finished. He had, the disciples had, uh, he had walked with them, taught them the they were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and later on they were going to, to continue to carry out the Great Commission. He has, the Lord has already done. He's already given to us. He's already moved. Prayer and faith is not, is not trying to get God to do something to move or to move. Prayer is believing that God has already done it. And I think that's, I think in, logically that doesn't make sense. But in the faith life it makes all kinds of sense because the Bible says that everything necessary for us to, to live in godliness, to live according to God's will has already been given us. That inheritance has already been given ours, the epistle of Peter says. So let's see if we can turn things around in our life. You live by faith, not by sight, right? Right? You live by faith, not by feelings, Right? When you speak and believe in your heart, do not doubt in your heart, the Bible says it'll come to pass, right? The Bible says when you pray, believe that you have, past tense, have received them and then you will see them, right? The Bible says if you don't forgive, it's going to become a barrier to keep you receiving from God and having what God wants you to have and being what God wants you to be, right? So we're all in agreement, right? 
So what we want to do is to take this word. It's more than a sermon. It's more than a lesson. It's more than Bible reading. God help us to apply this to how we approach things in our life every day. Apply it to my relationships to others. Apply it to my work, to my job. Apply it to my family. Apply it to my physical condition. Apply these principles. Apply it to everything that tries to stand up against you that you know is not God's will and you speak to that and tell it to get out in the name of Jesus and God delivers you from it. He shows you the way out and he brings great things into your life that you've never experienced before because now you're not just kind of whining around and complaining or you're not this little weak prayer that's over here begging and pleading God for something and hoping that God will bring it. Now you become strong in your faith. Not arrogant, but strong in your faith. You become strong in your faith. You become uh, filled with his word. You've let your heart, your spirit be filled. Your mouth is filled with his words. When something happens, your first response is what is already there that you've been feeding on. And when you do, something is activated in the spiritual world and situations change and you see it in the physical world. God help us to know that when we really believe and stand on what he says, it's already ours. Now I want to live out the pathway that God has designed for it to come into my life and be mine. And no matter what you're facing, something seems small. You know, if it's happened to us, it's usually not small. But something that is relatively small that's going on in your life. Or some of you that are dealing with some almost life-death situations. You're dealing with tough physical situations. You're dealing with tough financial situations. Maybe family situations. going. I don't know. But I am so grateful that I can say that you and I have a God that with him nothing is impossible. And he says, if you will believe and not doubt in your heart that nothing is impossible, you'll have what you say. You will have what you pray and believe. And God will bring favor and blessing to you so that you can impact the lives of others all around you. God help us to be that people. Amen.